many of you guys sing good? Bless my heart. I told you I know many, many times when it used to just be Karen and me and four other people out there. You know, it was, uh, we made a joyful noise unto the Lord. But you guys really sounded great. Thank you. Thank you for singing. It's a, it's a blessing to me every time. Uh, I told Karen the other day, you know, this job would be a lot easier if I just didn't care. Um, you know, I listen to some of these mega preachers and, uh, you know, a couple of jokes, a couple of funny stories, maybe a tear-jerking story, a little psychology and a Bible verse ripped out of context. Man, that's a pretty easy gig. That's a pretty easy gig. You can listen to these guys and you can, you can tell that uh, they don't care at all. They don't care what God says. And they don't care if God's people knows what God says. Uh, I will say this. Uh, you know, I, I don't normally name anybody when I'm talking negatively from the pulpit, but I will say this. There's one guy that, well, I, I may not name him, but I bet you can guess who it is if you're an American. He can, he can smile all the way through a sermon. Now, I give him credit for that. I give him credit for that. The boy can smile. You know, in 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 11, Paul's talking about all that he suffered for the sake of the gospel. Uh, he says, far more labors, far more imprisonments, far more beatings. Beatings without number, actually. He says, five times 39 lashes, three times beaten with rods. Uh, once he was stoned, three times he was shipwrecked. And he enumerates all these dangers that he was in as he, as he uh, led a life preaching the gospel. He talks about sleepless nights and hunger and thirst and cold and deprivation. And, at, and, and, and as he's going through all of these things, right there at the, at the end of this litany, he says this, right in the same breath he says, and then there's this daily pressure on me of my anxiety for the churches. Anxiety for the churches. Uh, the ESV uh, says anxiety, the NAS says concern for the churches. So right in the same breath with beatings and stonings and deprivations and dangers, he says, I have this anxiety for the church. There's a real deep, abiding, profound, awesome joy of being in Christian ministry. There is. Uh, it's the best job in the cosmos. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I love it with all my heart. But Paul is right. It comes with a huge emotional toll. It's real. It's real. Uh, good brother of mine, most of you don't know him. He goes to the, to the morning church. We, he went to Israel with us, and we had a great time. Thank you for your prayers. And, and uh, he kept asking me, what's wrong with you? Uh, he said, something's not right with you. And don't you hate it when somebody says that? Because you know they're seeing what you're trying to hide. And uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't honest with him. I told him it was physical, physical fatigue, but, you know, it's, uh, some of that was true. And Karen's gotten real good. She knows when, I, when I'm feeling that thing Paul talks about, when I'm feeling that concern for the church, she knows just to leave me alone and let me get on the other side of it, right? And, uh, and I appreciate that about her very much. Ecclesiastes 3.4 says... There is a time to weep and a time to mourn. And uh, it's not unchristian to weep and mourn. It's not unchristian to have a burden for God's people. It's not uh, unchristian to, be, to, to have anxiety and concern about the body of Christ. 
And I will say to you, the last several weeks I've had a burden for us. You know, Christianity, as John MacArthur so well says, it's, it's not a skip through the park with a bouquet of balloons. Uh, sometimes it's hard. And I've had a burden for us uh, in this church. I think some of, some of you, uh, based on what I preached two weeks ago, uh, thought my sermon was about money and about business. Uh, and I think maybe some of the rest of you thought it was about Jim being worried about his financial support or the Davies' financial security. Beloved, I, let, me, let me tell you, I've, I've been a free agent with God for 10 years. I left corporate America 10 years ago, and I've been, I've been uh, walking on air ever since. And God upholds me. And the thing I've learned with Him is that He, he does uphold me, and He will never fail me. He will never fail me. And so uh, ICM is the means of the Davy support, my support, but it is not the source of our support. God is, you know, we've talked a lot about it in here, Jehovah Jireh, that, uh, that one Hebrew scholar who translated it, I will see to it, says Lord God. I will see to it. He has seen to it. I want to give testimony. He has seen to it in my life. And I praise Him. Great is Thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. That's true in my life. He's been teaching me uh, Hebrews 11.6 ever since I really became a Christian. You know, He's been teaching me this verse. I think it's something you learn and you keep learning and you keep learning and you keep learning. Hebrews 11.6 God says, I'll reward those who come after me. He says, I'll reward them. And He does. He does. Two weeks ago I preached that it wasn't about money. And it certainly wasn't about my financial security or the Davies' financial security. It's about how we as a church see God, how we value God, how we treasure God, how we delight in God, how we adore Him and how we worship Him in this place. That's what it was about. That's what it was about. ICM's anemic cash flow at present, it's not a financial problem, it is a spiritual problem. That's why I'm addressing it in the pulpit. I had a couple of comments and I respect them. I, I appreciate the, the viewpoint. Uh, I disagree with it, but that the, this is something I should talk about in a business meeting. I disagree. This is not about business. This is about us and our heart and our love and our worship for God. That's what this is about. And that's why I'm preaching it in the pulpit. I talked two weeks ago about uh, that, those, those crazy Jews in, in the Old Testament. And how Exodus 35, those, those Exodus 35 Jews, and how they, ha they, could, they had to be restrained from bringing God an offering. <laughs> I love that story. And brothers and sisters, I want to say to you, if we're seeing God, if we're really seeing God, as He is, as we've talked about in our songs and as we talked about in the Scripture verses that I read, if we're really seeing Him as awesome and sovereign and a great King, a great God, a great Redeemer, I want to say to you that the offering plate will never be a problem. Ever. Never. I'll never have to check the bank account. Ever. If we're seeing Him, the offerings won't be a problem. This is my burden. Apparently, we're not seeing Him. We're not seeing Him as we ought. This is my burden. 
ICM's financial trend. And I want to say to you, this is, you know, it's not bleak. It's not dire. It's not. That's not what I'm concerned about. I want you to understand this. We can bleed cash for a year before we run out of money. It's not what it's about. I don't care about that. I care about where your heart is. I care about where my heart is. Because that, that offering plate is, is just showing us where our heart is. That's what I care about. That's my burden for this church. It's not, you know, this, this trend is not a, it's not a commentary on our affluence or lack of affluence. I'm, I'm wholly convinced. I am convinced beyond any shadow of a doubt. We could be a self-supporting church. There's enough wealth. God has poured enough wealth into the families of this church. I have no doubt about it. There, it's, not a lack of, it's not a lack of wealth. That's not what it is. There's something going on in our hearts that's not right. We could be a self-supporting church. I have no doubt about this. I'm convinced that we can. Yes, we're small. Yes, we're transient. I have no doubt that we could be a self-supporting church if we were really seeing God. This is my burden. I don't think we're seeing Him. I don't think we are. And I, I say this to you with great love and concern. And I take responsibility as your pastor, as your leader. I'm apparently not doing a very good job. You know, those, those Old Testament Jews in Exodus, they, uh, they were worshiping. And that ultimately is what it comes down to. The offering is just an aspect of worship. That's all it is. And they had to be restrained. They were bringing so much in. And this is why God, you know, I told you last two weeks ago, this is why God gives so much ink to, to, to about money in the Scriptures. You know, he, over 2,000 times He talks about money and wealth in the Scriptures. You know, twice as much as uh, He talks about um, heaven and hell and faith and prayer. Because it's not about money. What's it about? It's about Him. It's always about Him. How you give your money is a reflection of how you see Him, how you love Him, how you treasure Him, how you delight in Him. I'm not worried about the money. God's always provided for me. Always. And I expect that He will. I don't, I, I don't, I'm not worried about that. And I want you to understand that. If I had to say it five more times, I'll say it five more times. I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about what this says about our hearts. That's my burden for us as a church. John MacArthur said it right. He said, you know, the credibility of our Christianity is at stake in how we give. I believe that with all my heart. The credibility of our Christianity is at stake in how we give. It is a key barometer of how we are seeing the Lord, how we are loving the Lord, how we are delighting and treasuring the Lord. I pulled one of my favorite books off the shelf this last week. Uh, some of you probably read it. Um, A.W. Tozer's book, Whatever Happened to Worship. It's, uh, it's a really old book. Um, it's his treatise on what, what uh, true worship should look like. And he says a really cool thing, and I'm going to paraphrase him here. Um, he says, uh, what passes for normal Christianity today is not normal Christianity at all. It's nominal Christianity. And he, and he, and he had about two or three pages there where he had this wordplay between normal and nominal. And I thought it was excellent. 
And he said, uh, normal Christianity, and by that he means biblical Christianity. Normal Christianity is a wholehearted, delighted, overwhelmed, all-out, relentless pursuit and worship of Jesus Christ in every sphere of life. I love that. I think that's an excellent statement. And he says, many in the church today would label that kind of Christianity as extremist. He says, no, that's not extremist. That's what Christianity is supposed to look like. An all-out pursuit of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, brother and sister, and I ask you in love, when it comes to your giving, are you a normal Christian or a nominal Christian? What do your offerings reveal about your heart? What do they reveal about your view of God? And I'm going to spend the rest of the time, we're just going to look at a couple of biblical examples. Okay? We're just going to look at some biblical examples. Um, I think you might enjoy it. I, I enjoy it. I enjoyed putting it together. And these men and women, they could not not bring an offering. They could not not worship God. They couldn't do it couldn't do it. They could not not worship him. And most of them would be called an extremist today. They'd be called extremists. But the Bible holds these people up. And in fact, the Bible commends these men and women. So I want to just share these biblical examples with you. You know these words. I know you know them. O oh God, Thou art my God, I shall seek Thee earnestly. My soul thirsts for Thee. My flesh yearns for Thee. Thy loving kindness is better than life. Wow. The same man wrote, I will extol thee, my King, uh, my God, O King. I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day I will bless thee. I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. And it's only natural that the man who wrote those Psalms would also write this. This is what he wrote. In first, uh, this is what he says in First Chronicles 29. These are his words. Now with all of my ability I have provided for the house of my God. And moreover in my delight in the house of my God, the treasure I have of gold and silver I give to the house of my God. You see the heart that is hungering and thirsting and yearning after God. The heart that that extols and blesses and praises God. The heart that says unashamedly that your love is better than life itself. That's the man who says, with all my ability, I delight to provide for the house of God. It's like gravity. It's like you drop a ball, it falls. In, in, the, in the physical realm. It's the same in the spiritual realm. If we are loving and seeing and worshiping and delighting and treasuring God? I, the offering place is not an issue. Ever. Ever. It will never be. It will never be normal Christianity. That's all I'm talking about tonight. Normal Christianity. You know whose heart that was? David's heart. And he was full of stunned awe and wonder. Let me ask you, brothers and sisters, is your heart full of stunned awe and wonder? If it's not, you're not seeing God. You're not seeing Him. You're not seeing Him at all. Here's another one. You'll guess this one pretty fast. 
It's a little, little bitty guy. And he couldn't see, so he, he ran on up ahead. He climbed up a tree. He wanted to see this Jesus guy, right? So, uh, you know, the, the guy that climbed up that tree is not the same guy that came down that tree. As he went up that tree loving his money, <laughs> he came down that tree what? Loving his God. And Jesus said, today, I'll come to your house. And Zacchaeus, he was beside himself. And Zacchaeus gladly received the Lord. And the text says, Lord, behold, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone, I will give back four times as much. This is what happens in, in the born-again believer's life. You know, Zacchaeus' whole attitude about money changed he went up that tree loving to hoard it. He came down that tree loving to give it. That's what the Bible teaches about normal Christianity. This is normal Christianity. That's all I'm teaching you. Normal biblical Christianity. Here's another one. I think it's one of my favorites. There was a, she was sitting at the table and I am was sitting right across from her. And uh, she couldn't believe it, right? The uh, unfathomable condescension of I am. He's sitting across the table from her. And she thought a lot about it, you know. She, she'd been thinking about this. And, and uh, you know, she had all the same emotions you and I have, and we have that impulse to, to, to worship extravagantly. And, and she, she had those concerns. She thought, well, what about prudence and... What about frugality and what about the budget next month and what about this and what about that? So she was having all these thoughts. What are, what are people going to say? What are people going to say? But she looked at him one more time. None of that mattered anymore. And she excused herself and she left the house and she ran down the, the road and went to her home and she went in her bedroom and she pulled out the drawer and she, she, she pulled out the most valuable thing that she had that she could carry. And, 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 and she took it back and she was running back to Simon's house and her heart was about to explode because she loved him so much. Her heart was about to explode and she walked in the room and you know her eyes, their eyes met and, and, uh, and it was like Jesus said to her and, 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 and you know I'm, I'm taking a lot of license here, right? But it's like I, I try to put myself in these, in these scenes. But it was like Jesus said with, with his eyes, which he will always say to you, Christian friend. He will always say to you. But it was like he said to her, do all that's in your heart, my daughter. Do all that's in your heart. And she didn't hesitate. She broke the vial. And she anointed him with this costly perfume. And then she got down on her knees. <laughs> and, uh, and she dropped, she, 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 she let her hair down. And she, she anointed his feet and, and she wiped them with her hair. And you know how much the, you know how much the the, uh, the perfume cost. It was one year's wages. You know you can pick any uh, pick any minimum wage you want. I just picked one out of the air. Let's just say twenty thousand U.S. dollars right there. Twenty thousand U.S. dollars. She poured out. If she'd have had it, she'd have poured out a hundred thousand U.S. dollars or a million U.S. dollars. Unrestrained, extravagant, wholehearted. Ardent, lavish worship upon the living God. 
normal Christianity. It's not extreme. What's extreme is what he did. That's extreme. That's extreme. One more. Uh, she was like Mary, you know, she thought a lot about it, and uh, it was a big deal for her. This was a big deal for her. It was a big sacrifice for her. And she thought about it, you know, a lot. Big sacrifice, but she, she has a big God. She had a big God. And so she was not going to she was not going to confine her, her impulse to worship God in a lavish way. So she took her last penny and she threw it in to the offering. It was her last one. This is not law giving. This is not uh, obligatory giving. This is I love God more than anything else in the world and I can't help but give Him an offering worthy. That's what that is. That's worship. That's all it is, is worship. That's all it is. It didn't seem like extremism to her. It seemed like the perfect thing to do. I bet many of us would have said, oh, no, don't do that. We would have counseled her, oh, no, don't do that. You don't have to do that. It wasn't about have to. It wasn't about ought. It wasn't about should. It was about this is in my heart and I can't stop it. I'm going to worship my God. I'm going to worship my God with all that I have. And you know, Jesus was observing all, who, all the people throwing in, you know, and... and uh, and we talked about this last fall. You know, the Lord Jesus is, is watching how His people do their sums. He's watching. He knows how. He observes how we do our sums. He observes how we worship Him in our money. But He called all the disciples together and He said this, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the other contributors put into the treasury. For all they put in out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty, she put in all that she had to live on. It's not business. It's not business. This is about worship. That's what it's about. It's about worship. She was like those crazy Macedonians, you know, we talked about two weeks ago. Out of their deep poverty they gave, according to their ability and beyond they gave. They begged to give. Normal Christianity. As we talked about two weeks ago, God enthralled, giving God enthralled. Let me ask you, brother and sister, do you see God like that? Are you enthralled? Are you enamored? Are you captivated? Normal Christianity. Normal Christianity. Uh, <clears throat> Piper, John Piper, in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, he, he writes this. He says, it's almost impossible for Christians in the affluent West to come to terms with Jesus' uh, commendation of what this widow did. He says to see it fleshed out, we probably need to go to the third world. And then he tells this true story. Uh, this Haitian church was taking a love offering. They were going to have a little kind of a fellowship thing like we do, you know, and they were going to take a love offering for a need. And, and uh, <clears throat> they were counting the love offering. They found an envelope from a guy named Edmund, okay? They knew who Edmund was. And uh, they knew that Edmund didn't have anything. There was 13 U.S. dollars in this envelope. Well, that's three, much wa that's three months' wages in Haiti. That would be, like, be like Adam and me going back and counting the, the, in the offering plate and there would be $10,000 in there. That's what this is equivalent to, okay? So they find this, they find this uh, 13 U.S. dollars, but they can't find Edmund. Edmund's nowhere to be found. 
And so this missionary makes it, makes it a point to go find Edmund the next, uh, in the next few days. And he, he meets Edmund in the village and he asks Edmund about this unbelievable offering. And, and Edmund said, well, I sold my horse. I sold my horse. And then the missionary said, well, why didn't you stay for the festival? Why didn't you stay and worship with us? Why didn't you stay and fellowship with us? I think Edmund, I think Edmund could teach us a thing or two, maybe. I know he could teach me a thing or two uh, about what it means to love God and worship God like that. One more time. I've shared this one with you before. George Mueller's seamstress friend, you know, she, she lived at subsistence level. And her father died and left her 400 pounds, which would be a small fortune for someone like her in this day and in time that she lived in. She paid off her father's debts, and she gave the rest away. And Mueller received 100 pounds from her to, to go toward the uh, orphan work. And Mueller knew her, her financial condition, so he went to her, and he says, you know, he says, I don't, I, don't, I don't want her to give out of emotion. I want to make sure that she has counted the cost on this, right? So he goes to her, and he says, you know, you're old and feeble and all this stuff. You don't make any money. You, know, you, sh you should keep this money. She goes, no, I, I don't want to keep the money. And Mueller wrote in his journal that he found her to be very mature and very, very set on God, very stayed on Christ. And, and he, he couldn't talk her out of it. But he kept pressing her and pressing her. Finally, she says this. She says, uh, I want to get it right. She says, my Lord Jesus gave his last drop of blood for me. Should I not give him the hundred pounds? <laughs> Normal Christianity. Normal Christianity. David, it's estimated, you know, I saw all these different estimations of what David set aside for the house of God. I saw an estimate as high as $18 billion. As I looked at the commentaries and tried to add up all the, the gold and stuff. And, uh, yeah, he was a king, but he wasn't holding anything back from, uh, from the worship of his God. Zacchaeus gave uh, away half as well. Zacchaeus gave half of it away. Mary poured out an estimated 20,000 U.S. dollars in, in our modern context uh, in one act of worship. The widow gave her last penny, all that she had to live on. Edmund gave $13. He sold his horse. He didn't have a good shirt, but he sold his horse and he gave $13 to the church. The seamstress gave 100 pounds for the orphans. 100 pounds for the orphan. So what do we learn from all this? How much money should you give? I told the morning congregation, that's always the wrong question. That's always the wrong question. It's not about money. It's about your heart. It's about how you love God. It's about how you worship God. That's the point. That's the issue. That's my burden. I'm not going to give you a box to check, you know. A lot of people like to bring forward that Old Testament law and say, well, you give a tithe. I, I, I'm not going to give you a box to check because I, I don't think we're under law. I don't think we're under law giving. And first and foremost, I mean, if, if I give you a box to check, pretty soon that box is going to be, a, I mean, pretty soon it's going to be too small because you're going to want to give more than that. And, and so 
I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to give you a box, box to check. I, I'm not going to give you something to calculate. You know, John Piper said it so beautifully about true worship. He says, in authentic worship, calculation vanishes. And I love that. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, if you're, if you're figuring out how much you're going to give with God, uh, if you're figuring out how much you're going to give to God with the calculator, I'm going to challenge you. You need to put the calculator down. Put the calculator down. You don't need a calculator to decide how much you're going to give to God. What you need to do is look in your heart. That's what you need to do. Read the Scriptures. Get on your knees. Pray. That's what you need to do. You don't need a calculator. You don't need a calculator. Normal Christianity. Normal Christianity. We are to be, as you know, hilarious givers. Sacrificial givers. That's what we're called to do. You say, well, Jim, are you trying to make me feel guilty? You know what? Because I love you and I'm your pastor, I have license to say things. Maybe some of us are guilty. Maybe some of us are. Maybe we feel guilty because we are guilty. Maybe we are guilty. Maybe, maybe we've just been giving out of our surplus. As Jesus talked about those who were throwing in these great sums. Uh, it was just out of their surplus. They didn't miss it. You know, maybe, uh, we've, just, maybe we've been completely ignoring God in our money. Maybe we've never been taught. Maybe we've never understood what's at stake here with God and our money. Maybe we've just been giving Him leftovers and spare change. Maybe we give Him what, what we have at the end of the month instead of what we're supposed to do. Give Him what we, we want to give Him at the first of the month. Maybe, maybe some of us are guilty. Maybe we should feel guilty. But that's not my, my objective. That's not my objective. My objective is, my objective is that you understand what's at stake here. It's about how you worship Him. Nothing less than that's at stake. Nothing less than that's at stake. So how much we should we give? That's between you and God. I'm never going to tell you how much you should give. <laughs> Ever. It's between you and God. That's between you and the Lord. But here's what God says. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor me from the first of your wealth, from the first of all your produce. And here's the promise. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Malachi 3.10 Bring in the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there will be food in my house. And here's the promise. And test me in this, says the Lord God. Nowhere else does He say this in all the Bible. He says, test me and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Luke 6, 38. I shared with you last time we were together. Jesus says, give and it will be given to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, they will pour into your lap. And here comes the promise. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured back to you. Uh, I preach like this because I care. If I didn't care, 
We just ride it out for another year. Go somewhere else. I see him won't fail financially because of God's unfaithfulness. I told you two weeks ago. If I see him fails, it will be because of our unfaithfulness. It won't be because of God's. It will be because of ours. But I say these things to you in love. I hope you receive them in love. I hope you receive them in the spirit that, that they're meant to, to be conveyed. Friends, this is a big deal for you. It's a big deal for you. Every one of you. And, and for you young people that, that don't have enough money to, to give much of anything, you need to start now. Start, start right now in your life. You're going, to, you're going to have a lifestyle of honoring and magnifying and worshiping God in all that He pours through you. And I'm going to close with a, a John Piper quote. This is normal Christianity. God is not magnified before an unbelieving world when we merely point to it.